from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. And uh, it's really wonderful to see you all here tonight. Uh, we have a lot of students, so thanks for being here and thanks to the professors for um, uh, suggesting that they come here or giving them extra credit or whatever they did to entice them. We really appreciate it. And uh, we know you're all in for a very uh, interesting and provocative evening. Um, before I introduce the program tonight, I want to tell you about some of the other things we have coming up. Uh, some of you may know that we are in the process of building a new JCC. We uh, will be breaking ground in a year or so. And uh, we have a big um, event on November 2nd at the Boulder Theater. And it's uh, this card right here. They're uh, available on the table on your way out. Uh, it's going to be a really fun party and, and a capital campaign uh, fundraiser, uh, $18 per person. Hazel Miller will be playing, so we hope you'll come and join us for that. Uh, starting on Sunday, we have our Festival of Books and Culture, and we do this every year. Uh, this flyer is actually um, in, uh, not complete because we've added two programs uh, since we, we put it out. It's also available over there. Myla Goldberg will be here on Sunday. She uh, wrote The Bee Season. We'll be showing that film, and she'll be talking about her new book. Um, we have a number of other uh, wonderful authors. And on November 3rd, the final author will be at CU. Paula Fredrickson will be here to talk about her book, Augustine and the Jews. And that'll be at UMC 235. So some of your professors may be uh, interested in having you come to that as well. So do pick up information um, on your way out. Um, and I'm going to introduce the filmmaker, and he'll say a few introductory remarks. What we're going to do after the film, it's a 70-minute film, we're going to bring up our panel. Um, we have um, uh, Dr. Karen Suskin, we have Maura Yehudas Fishman, we have Miriam Pollock, and we have the director. Um, and, and all four of them will be up here, and I will moderate. And the panel is going to be very simple. The panelists will introduce themselves, uh, say what brought them to the topic of circumcision, and just their very basic uh, viewpoint on the, on the subject. Uh, you know, two minutes each, and then the audience will start asking questions, and you can direct your questions to whoever on the panel you want to address it to, and we'll have a, a discussion with the panel um, based on whatever it is you want to talk about, including the filmmaker. So um, that's how the, our format's going to work, and I'm going to introduce the director, and he will give you just a few uh, remarks before seeing this film, and then uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing from you uh, afterwards. So again, thanks for being here, and please join me in welcoming the director. Thank you all so much for coming out tonight. Uh, my name is Ellie Unger-Sargon. I'm the uh, producer and director of the film you're about to see, Cut, Slicing Through the Myths of Circumcision. Um, before uh, we get started, a few words of thanks are in order. I want to thank the 
Boulder JCC for, uh, for doing a wonderful job putting this event together. I really appreciate um, your having us here tonight. Uh, this is part of a 30-city tour that I'm on. Uh, this is the 24th stop, and so I need to thank the whole network who's sponsoring my tour across the North American continent. I also want to thank Jillian and Frank Longley for, um, you know, hosting me and putting me up and really making me feel at home here in Boulder. Um, you have a beautiful city, and uh, the autumn colors were in full force to welcome me, which was really lovely. Um, so thank you to all those people. Thank you to the local organizers, Miriam Pollock, and all of the local organizers who helped put this together. Um, I came to this subject. We'll save a little bit of time. I'll tell you how I came to this subject. Um, I was uh, 17 years old, and I was given the unusual honor of being a sandik at a cousin's bris. The sandik is the person who holds the baby. Um, and being in that proximity to the event uh, at that early in age got me thinking critically about it. I later went to medical school for three years um, and gained an appreciation for empirical evidence and um, the human body. And I dropped out of medical school, every Jewish mother's nightmare, to become an artist. Um, and uh, when I became a filmmaker, which is what the plan was all along, uh, I thought this would make a really interesting documentary film. And I hope after you see it, you will agree with me on that point. So thank you so much once again for coming out. And without further ado, I give you my film cut. Thank you. Miriam Pollack, uh, on my uh, right, will introduce herself. She is a no-circ advocate and uh, nationally known for that. Uh, Dr. Karen Suskind, and uh, more Yehudas Fishman. So I'm going to start my far left with Yehudas, and we're just going to say what brings us to this conversation, and essentially our point of view. And when we're done, we'll open it up to you to direct questions to our panelists and to have a conversation. So um, I just want to say that we are no stranger to controversy here at the JCC. We are very happy to be uh, bringing forth a conversation on a topic that is extremely controversial. Um, people feel very passionately. We're happy for that. And we are happy to have a um, polite and a lively uh, conversation. So we really uh, thank everyone for being here with an open mind and an open heart. So the last time I saw Eliohu was more like the boy in the last picture, but uh, he wasn't quite as controversial at that <laughs> age. I, I taught him in the first grade in Boston, so uh, very interesting that we come together in this format. So, um, I, I, have, I would have a comment about every segment of this documentary, but I, I think in brief, I'm coming from a traditional perspective, an orthodox perspective, although I think most of the rabbis of Boulder, who were not bold enough to be here tonight, uh, would share my perspective. And I think three key words in the documentary I, I'd like to briefly address. Um, one is the issue of health, the other is the issue of pleasure, and the third is the issue of a word that was not brought up at all in its original term, and that's the concept of mitzvah. Now, mitzvah has been used in the documentary as ritual or rite, but I don't think it really conveys the traditional, really mystical perspective of what mitzvah is all about, which is a commandment or a connection or a bond to God. 
So from this perspective, the question that I would kind of throw out, and I ask myself too, what is the bottom line in everybody's life? What is the no, no deal, what is the deal breaker that would cause a person to act? And from a traditional perspective, it is the commandment itself. Now in terms of pleasure, if pleasure is an ultimate goal, then the mitzvah value would be pushed aside probably in some cases. If health is an ultimate goal, then the mitzvah would consider the health issues. And all, all along in Jewish history, rabbis have always considered the health issues in all kinds of situations, especially those affecting the body and the act of circumcision. Um, so really, primarily from the way I see it, like some of the rabbis said, um, really a mitzvah is considered something that's God's will. Now it's interesting to me that nobody mentioned the idea of a covenant from Sinai. There is a covenant going back to Abraham, but the covenant of Sinai, which in the Bible is the idea that all Israel stood at Mount Sinai and said, we will accept the commandments, the word of God, wherever it takes us. Now, even though health and life, of course, is an ultimate value, sometimes there are circumstances from a biblical point of view where even health is disregarded. I had my grandfather, who I never knew, he chopped down a tree on his foot so that he would not have to work on the Sabbath. Now some people might say that that's, you know, that's abusive, that's self-mutilating, but again, people have to always ask, what is the primary value? Uh, one, of, one of the comments that I thought was a little bit off, when, when the, the rabbi, the Orthodox rabbi was talking about women being circumcised, and then at some point he said, I am an abuser, so my comment that came into my head is that, well, it kind of sounds like, yes, uh, circumcision is mutilation, and, and, and it's not fair that it's not done on women. So it's kind of contradictory in my mind for that perspective. But again, the bottom line that I ask myself, and I would like to, all of you to ask, that what is your ultimate value in life? If it is considered serving God, then everything else has to fall in place under that rubric. If it is your own choice, then, then your choice becomes the top quality. And if it is your ultimate pleasure, then that becomes your ultimate value. But again, the question is, what is your ultimate value in life? And just one more point, um, I would like to see many, talking about the idea of pleasure, I would have liked to see Russians who circumcised later in life and, and took that upon themselves, see compar comparisons with their standards of pleasure before and after they were circumcised. I would like to see women who were not observant, who became observant later in life and had experiences with both men who were circumcised and not circumcised also to weigh in on their personal pleasure level in that comparison. So I think a lot of interesting points in, in, in this documentary, but a, a lot of things were left out and deserve further con uh, conversation. Thank you. Hi, I'm Karen Suskind. I'm a family physician um, here in Boulder. And I came to this um, when I was asked to respond to the um, California initiative um, to ban circumcision. Uh, when I feel very strongly as a physician that um, there is a personal decision between the parent and the doctor, or the family and the doctor, and it's, um, I really don't feel it's the business of the community 
um, in a secular environment to get involved with that. For me, it was just a very slippery slope. I felt very adamant that that is not to be interfered with. Um, obviously, that's been removed from the initiative, so that's no longer an issue. So now I find um, a very interesting question, um, secular versus Judaic. Um, as a Reformed Jew, I am uh, pro-circumcision to respect the covenant. Um, as a family physician, I am pro what the family feels is best for their child. Um, many interfaith families come to me and ask me my opinion, and I say, you need to talk to a moil, you need to talk to a rabbi, but here's my medical issues, and I agree that there's no, um, it's not medically indicated procedure, and um, I give them the risks and the benefits, and the, I do take issue with the fact that the medical procedures that were shown in the um, film, I haven't seen one done like that before, and I think it's a lot kinder now, and there's a lot more pacifier use, and um, anesthetic, and um, oftentimes the babies are very quiet, and, I wouldn't say relaxed, but um, certainly not uh, what we experienced in the film. Thank you. Hi, I'm Miriam Pollack, and um, I'm a Jewish woman, um, and Judaism is very important to me. And um, I never thought I would be in the position I'm in today. But um, after observing a number of circumcisions close up, I was um, profoundly traumatized. And it took me many years to even begin to find language to deal with the collision that was happening inside of me between my love and trust for this tradition and my maternal feelings. And um, once those questions really began to be uh, uh, formulated, I started learning. And um, some of the salient things that I want to bring up here are, <clears throat> one, in biblical times, um, a circumcision was done very differently. Um, instead of reaming the entire glands and cutting off the entire foreskin, the foreskin was cut from the tip of the glands forward. So, it was, so a man was left with quite a bit of foreskin. It was only during Hellenic times when um, Jewish men were competing with um, Greeks um, in athletic events and the Greeks um, competed naked um, and ridiculed the Jewish men for their circumcisions and that Jewish men began to stretch and tie their foreskins. Um, the rabbis were horrified and then they had an edict that um, from now on it should be perea, a full reaming and cutting off of the foreskin. So this is not something we can say went all the way back to Abraham. That's one really important point I want to make. Um, then in terms of a slippery slope um, there really are very significant issues here in terms of, uh, we saw the OB, Dr. Marks, was that um, saying that the, the noise the baby was making was just because it was being mucked with. Um, there have been multiple studies measuring heart rate, respiratory rate, cortisol levels. Um, all these are pain indicators of babies while they're being circumcised 
and they are off the charts in terms of the extremity of pain, even with analgesics applied. Um, this is very significant. And when we are altering sexual structure, which we are when we remove 20,000 nerve endings from the most sensitive part of a, a newborn baby, um, they're really huge ethical questions. And I come to these ethical questions from my Jewish background, um, which tells me how important it is to sanctify life. Um, so there's really a slippery slope, I feel, when we are willing to justify anything because it is commanded. And I've come to the point where if it's not ethical, it cannot be spiritual. That's where I've come. The director already said something, but we'll... <clears throat> I'll just say a few words, you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know a lot about me, a lot about me, now that you've seen us, this film. Um, but, um, you know, I'm very happy to be on this panel. Uh, I'm very happy to be here with uh, my esteemed co-panelists. Um, I haven't seen Maura Yudas Fishman for a long, long time. <laughs> it's good to see her again. Um, and her uh, religious perspective on this is very well taken. Um, and I did try to show that perspective and represent it in the film. Um, I'm uh, relieved to hear Dr. Suskind um, not argue the health benefits argument too strongly because that can get into becoming a very boring discussion for audiences going back and forth on different studies and I can do that but I really don't enjoy it so much and I think we agree that it's not um, medically necessary and I, I think we can start at that baseline and of course I'm very privileged to be sitting here with Miriam Pollock who uh, was a big help in organizing this and uh, whose perspective I also value greatly so with that I think we'll open it up to uh, Q&A from the audience. Uh, my name is Phil, and um, uh, actually a Front Range Community College student. We were so happy to have a student here I guess kind of an interesting question, um, a little bit about, about my background to kind of expose this question. Um, my birth parents happened to come from a Christian religion, but my adopted parents were Jewish. My younger brother and sister, I've been to both their bat and bar mitzvahs. Um, it was wonderful. Uh, it was a really big, I mean, it is, it's huge in our, in the family. Um, my question is this though, uh, <clears throat> from my standpoint, I, cause I'm, I, I'm very, very social with my birth parents. Um, and my adopted family. I'm part of both, and I walk kind of in both worlds, which makes it a little weird. What would you, as panelists, say to other people, perhaps of other uh, religions that practice circumcision? What would you say to them, specifically um, the Christian and Islam communities? Because circumcision, depending on if you're Reformed, if you're Orthodox, um, Messianic, whatever you may be, whatever you determine in the Jewish community, that's its own issue, it's in, it's in the writing. But what would you address perhaps to other religions such as Islam and Christianity who do use some of those same texts? What might, would your answer be the same? Would it be different in any way um, about whether they should or should not do this? Oh, no. Is this all the panelists? Yes, it's open to all of the panelists. 
So I think from, from a uh, traditional point of view, the idea of the covenant is specifically between God and the Jewish people. So I don't think as a Jewish person, I would have the right to either, you know, either, either say yes, you should, or no, you should not do I would leave it up to the personal choice, either of that particular religious culture or, or the individuals in that culture, if they want it or not. But I think from a Jewish perspective, I don't think there's any necessity or obligation to legislate what another person of another religion should do. I'll second that. I think it's extremely important to really be informed about what the function of the foreskin is, what the consequences are of taking it off. Um, this is unfortunately not part of informed consent. Um, it should be, and people need to know this before they make this permanent decision for their babies. I'm not comfortable speaking to uh, Christians or Muslims or Africans uh, or you know people from the Philippines about their genital cutting practices in the same way that I'm comfortable talking to Jews and Americans. These are the two communities that I belong to. Um, having said that, um, it strikes me as odd that certain um, Christians believe that this is a Christian practice. And when I come across this, I, I try to keep a bit of distance, but I do tell them that they, my reading of Christian theology, and you know, I have some education in this, is that that, that is completely wrong. There's no, um, I mean, you can read uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's stated black and white there that, you know, this is not something Christians need to do. But on a more general theological level, um, Christianity believes that the, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus um, uh, basically fulfilled all of the requirements of the Old Testament. So Christians don't need to be performing the rituals or the commandments of the Old Testament anymore. So. You know, I've had a number of conversations with Christians where I'm sort of like, I, I think maybe you should take another look at your faith tradition because I don't think this is a Christian thing. Um, and, you know, just the, I guess the, the academic in me wants, wants people to, to know their own backgrounds and to be accurate when they talk about what the motivations for doing something are. But I, and you'll notice that in the film, I don't touch on Muslim circumcision. Um, I don't touch on African or Philippine circumcision. And there are genital cutting practices all over the world uh, of varying degrees of severity. Um, as a member of the Jewish and American communities, I feel very comfortable um, talking to members of my own community about it and supporting members of other communities who might uh, be like-minded, but not directly sort of talking to people of those faith communities. Another question? Okay, great, thanks. Uh, my name is Larry, and I was raised in a conservative Jewish home and about eight years ago when my sister got pregnant and I was already well aware of some of the controversy about circumcision, um, I attempted to have a conversation with her and her husband about uh, the possibility of not circumcising her infant son. And I found the conversation went nowhere. Um, so I'm kind of, despite me sending them books and literature and whatnot, and I find it really interesting that my sister who doesn't keep kosher, doesn't observe the Sabbath, uh, doesn't keep a lot of traditions, felt so strongly about circumcision. So um, I guess I'm posing to the panelists, what is it that's different about circumcision that Jewish people who are not otherwise observant feel so strongly about it? Well, can I ask first, what did she say to you? 
she, uh, um, her answer was leaving it up to her husband. And her husband's answer was, well, why wouldn't I do this? Because it's been done for centuries. Anyone in particular you'd like to address that to? Um, anyone who has a comment. Okay, we have some audience who wants to Oh, um, I think that his uh, comment is very interesting because it touches on uh, issues that are much, much deeper than this issue. And the issue is the struggle that Jewish people have uh, between religiosity, religiosity, I'm sorry about my English sometimes, hello, and between ethnicity. And I think that uh, many people who are non-believer and they do not have, I mean, either Jews that are atheists or non-theists or Jews that, uh, that might believe in had some kind of experience, godly experience, but really it's something that comes and goes and they are not really religious people. People that even think that, uh, that Moses uh, invented it because he took it from, from the priesthood in Egypt that used to do that. Even people like this sometimes will find that when they have a kid, they do it without asking the question. And the question is, they think that by doing that, they affirm their belonging to that ethnic group. And that is the problem that we face in Judaism today, especially after the Holocaust and the Enlightenment. And that is that we do not really reach yet this concept of what does it mean to be Jewish if you are non-theist. If you are not religious, what does it mean to be Jewish if you do not believe in God? And, and doing the circumcision as part of this sort of... I think about myself, for example. I'm a mother. When I was at in 77, when my son was born, I was younger, and I never thought of that and I circumcised him, right? I really am so sorry for that today. My husband would not agree with me because he Why? does not, Why? because he does not, he, he is much more tribal than me. And I think of that uh, as, as both a moral issue, which I think Judaism is struggling with today because for us, we always identify the moral with the divine, and yet we are doing something that is, I perceive as immoral. So it so all touches. I don't think that this is, I think, I, I don't want to get into that. I have some ideas about why Abraham did it and why Moses did it, but I think that this is a much deeper issue. It's a much deeper issue, be aside from, from what I think it can do to a kid. Like Just, uh, if so I could. Was that an answer, or would you like some one of the panelists to I, I would love to hear an addition. That was a great answer, but I'd love to hear an addition from any of the yeah. panelists who have something yeah. to say. Yes, um, I agree with you. This is many, many layered for us as Jews. 
and um, I wrote an article called Circumcision, Gender, Identity, Gender, and Power, which was published by Tikkun Magazine this summer, and there are copies out in the hall if you're interested, because it's hard to talk about this on one foot. Um, but I think for us as Jews, um, survival trauma is embedded in our psyches, and we have been told that if we don't, one, we've been told many things, if we don't do this, we'll disappear. We've also experienced from our oppressors, generation after generation, that um, you mustn't do this because um, this proves that you are inferior people that you do this. So the response of Jews has been, understandably, don't you barbarians tell us how to identify ourselves? So clearly, if people who are persecuting us are not moral, therefore, what we do has to be moral. But the, but the um, contradiction in this is, especially during the Shoah, during the Holocaust, um, this did not further our survival. How many tens of thousands of Jews did we lose because all they had to do was pull down pants and figure out who was a Jew? And we have tens of thousands of Jewish men in the United States who have been circumcised and are clueless Judaically and who are not affiliated. And this has not furthered their um, sense of Jewish tradition or Jewish knowledge. So there really is a question as to how are we going to um, continue who we are and, and the legacy that we have, and do we want it to be male-defined? Because this is all, we're defining it as we, we, including women, will disappear if we don't do this to our male children on their male organ. We are talking about identity constructed through gender and power. That's what we're talking about with circumcision. It's very complex. And that's all I'll say about it. You can read any, more my articles. Yeah. yeah, so you know, people talk about reasons for commandments, and it can be culture, survival, but really in Judaism, there are many different types of commandments, and one of the categories is called a chok, which means a decree. Now, I think like one of the rabbis said, either you believe it or you don't. If you don't, you have to search for all other kinds of meanings. But if you do, then if it's something that you accept, that commandment itself is the reason whether or not consciously you, you can have a justification for it. There's an interesting story of a circumcision in the Talmud. The Talmud says that when Isaac was circumcised at eight days old, his older brother, Ishmael, who became the, the ancestor of, of the, the Arab people, said, oh, oh, when they got older, when they both got older, so Ishmael said to Isaac, uh, I'm greater than you because I was circumcised at 13 when I had a choice to do it or not. Uh, but you were circumcised at eight days old and you had no choice. So Isaac said, well, if God would ask me to give up my whole being for him, I would do that too. And that's what led to the test of Isaac. 
But this idea that, that the soul has a connection to God that goes beyond any kind of logical reason or rationality is really a soul quality that you can't give a logical answer because it's not a logical category. I'll, uh, if I can add something. Um, I, I just, a small correction to my former teacher with deep, deep respect. Um, circumcision is not, Brit Milah is not a hook. Um, the concept of chok does exist in the Jewish tradition, and the concept is that it's a law that you're given with no reason. Um, the classic example given is the parah duma, the red heifer. Um, it's supposed to, it's according to Jewish tradition, a completely irrational, without without given reason. But circumcision has a very clearly given reason, and that's the covenantal reason that we read about in Breshit, in Genesis. The the reason that that is given for circumcision is that it's a covenant and in covenants, you know, something has to be broken, something has to be given and taken on both sides. So I don't think that there's anyone in the Jewish tradition that I'm aware of that considers Brit Milah to be a chok, an irrational commandment. Um, I want to address the question uh, very briefly. Um, it's a good question, why is it that this one practice is, is what people who don't do anything else sort of hang on to? Um, and I think you need to look at different sorts of people to answer that question. Um, you're going to have a lot of people, and I think this is an underemphasized element of this, a lot of people are doing it actually because they're American. Um, and the instructive thing to do is to look at cultures in which circumcision is not normative and look at the rates of Jewish circumcisions in those cultures. And one of the things you'll notice that's very striking is that they have lower rates of circumcision among the Jewish communities in places like Brazil, um, Germany, Sweden. Uh, Sweden. Um, these, are place, these are places where circumcision is not normative and there are lower levels, there are lower rates of circumcision among Jews in those countries than there are in this country. I think that's, so the American thing, and you saw the couple in my film, the Weber Schifrin sort of talking about it, they almost didn't have a brace, right? If it hadn't been for Andy's insistence on it, um, as far as Aaron was concerned, they could have had it done in the hospital. And I think, um, I think a majority of American Jews actually do have uh, circumcisions done in non-ritual contexts in the hospital. Now they may think, some may think that they're doing something Jewish. Um, it, this is an interesting uh, sort of point that I, I've been making lately, which is that if you circumcise a Jewish male at three days in a hospital in a non-ritual setting, you're actually preventing that individual from ever participating in a ritual circumcision. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of ironic situation that if a person who's really committed to, to halakha, to the tradition, to the Jewish law, was posed with the following dilemma, should I leave the boy intact or give him a non-ritual circumcision? Many would say leave him intact because if you give him a non-ritual circumcision, the best you can do later on is a, a substitute ritual that doesn't really have the same impact called the hatafat dambrit where you draw a symbolic drop of blood. So I think that's sort of a very interesting situation. Um, and then yes, there are uh, Jews, American Jews, who do this because they feel it's, um, you know, there it's an ethnic identification ritual, as we've been discussing. Um, and you know, it's a lot easier than keeping Shabbat. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot easier than you know, teaching your children, um, you know, how to read a page of Talmud. It's a lot easier than um, you know, observing the holidays and keeping kashrut and. It's a lot easier than a lot of things is what I'm getting at. Now, I'm not trying to minimize, you know, the emotional sort of impact and difficulty that some people have around this, but um, when I think about, well, why don't, you know, more American Jews keep Shabbat? Well, it's hard. Um, 
actually you kind of touched on mine already because I was wondering what the traditions are um, as far as medically doing the procedure with anesthesia and if that would change anything and how that would affect all of that, but you did touch on that. So. Yeah, and specifically on the question of anesthetic, there's a dispute among religious authorities um, about whether or not anesthetic is allowed to be used. Um, I, I'd like to add a little color to this also, go into a little more detail. The circumcision, the graphic circumcision that you saw at the end of the film that Dr. Marx performed with the Mogan clan is actually not considered a ritually correct circumcision because in ritually correct circumcisions it is essential to draw blood and when you use a clamp you're not drawing blood in the cutting act so that's uh she's from the reform britney law program and they do things more medically uh over there yeah whether or not to use anesthetic is actually um controversial among certain religious authorities much more obviously in the orthodox world than in the non-orthodox world um and i would add and we haven't talked about this and maybe dr seskind can um sort of address this as well um, my reading of the medical literature is that it's not, I mean, I know that the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out in, in favor of using anesthetic. And um, certainly, you know, having, they've done a good job in dispelling the myth that babies don't feel pain from this surgery, which was a, a belief in the medical establishment for decades that babies don't feel pain. Um, and practitioners um, of this sometimes literally don't hear them crying. Uh, that, that's, that's an interesting phenomenon, it's a side issue. But I, 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 from my reading of all of the data that I've seen, um, the use of anesthetic is still somewhat controversial. Some physicians believe that it adds uh, pain in and of itself, that the injection, for example, a dorsal, dorsal penile block would actually be painful itself, um, that the emla cream is not entirely effective, um, and so there are still many physicians who don't use anesthetic when they perform circumcisions in American hospitals. And I've been going around the country now and talking to physicians and talking to people, and that, that's my impression. Am, am I wrong about that? In Boulder, the standard of care is to use anesthetic. And typically what we do, at least in Boulder, is um, hopefully we get a breastfed baby um, so he's a little drunk when he comes in. Um, then the, oftentimes the father comes in the father doesn't want to come in. I've had a couple mothers actually come in, and they would. Um, it was the one time we recommended pacifier. They took the pacifier and shared the water, um, let the baby suck while we start the procedure. Um, we are doing the anesthetic, and um, we do the. It's a the penile block, um, and so that it's just a one shot, and we go from that one point to numb the the penis, and it seems to work. The baby's often. And we only strap down the legs, we're not strapping down the arms, so we keep them wrapped up because we like their hands against their bodies, their hands close to their mouths, and um, we have a warm light on them and they're wrapped up. So I realize it's not the most um, tender moment for the child, but um, it's, it's <laughs> as, uh, hopefully as comfortable as we could possibly make it. And when I did train, I'm not gonna say how many years ago that was, um, we were doing the Mogan clamps then without anesthetic, and I definitely see the difference um, in the pain responses of the babies then. This is, I'm sorry, ma'am, I didn't catch your name. Um, okay, hello, doctor. Um, my question is, is I know that doctors are busy, super busy. You guys, I mean, 
help save the world. And you go to school forever. Like, I totally respect the profession. However, because you guys are so busy, do you wait the allotted amount of time? When I go to the dentist and I have had to have my tooth pulled, it is excruciating. I was a 19-year-old young woman, you know, like I have a pain tolerance. I've had two home births. I'll tell you what, going to the dentist is not fun. But the dentist um, gave me a shot in my jaw and he and the, the assistant or aide or whatever would have to come back and poke my jaw several times and give me dose after dose after dose. My question for you is, do physicians honestly, wholeheartedly wait that allotted amount of time for that penile block to set in? It's not automatic. You know what I mean? You're right. It absolutely isn't automatic. And that took me one baby to learn that. Um, and I've witnessed now six practitioners here in Boulder County, um, and I've watched them. What they do is they do the anesthetic block, and then they set up. And the setup takes a surprising long amount of time, and then if the baby's still not calmed down yet or numb or asleep, then we do the sugar water, and they wait. I've, quite frankly, here in Boulder, and um, first of all, the nurses wouldn't allow the doctors to proceed. Um, if the baby wasn't numb, and second of all, the parents who are often there and present, or relative who's there and present, wouldn't allow that to proceed if the baby wasn't numb. And quite frankly, the doctors I, I work with and the neonatal nurse practitioners who do the procedure, I think they have big hearts. And I think all of us, you know, in essence what we saw um, with Dr. Marks, essentially apologize to the baby while we're doing it. Um, and so you want the baby as comfortable as possible. I don't think anyone's trying to thwart or rush the procedure. So um, Jillian had invited me to come. I'm Dr. Jennifer Johnson and also know um, Dr. Karen. So I wanted to thank you for producing the film. I think it was very provocative, very, um, just very thought provoking. And I'm married to a Jewish man who circumcised. We opted not to circumcise our son. I do circumcisions. I've done one. I just did one on Sunday. Um, I agree that most of the time they are more comfortable than what was shown, but a lot of times you're trying to minimize the amount of time that the baby is being restrained and it proceeds. I, certainly sometimes they're uncomfortable, even with the sweeties and such. Um, I try to talk patients out of, in a gentle way, I also respect the doctor-patient relationship, but I try to tell people it's not medically indicated. I work at Clinica. A lot of our patients are Spanish-speaking and do not believe in, um, in general, the Latin American population doesn't believe in circumcision. Um, I may not continue to perform them. Medicaid has stopped covering circumcision, which is an, a very, I think, interesting development. A number of our providers have... Yep. Um, but I have to say, as somebody who really values integrity, I don't know that I can continue to perform circumcision because I think, well, if I feel like I don't have the right to do that to my son, what gives me the right to do that to another infant? If I feel like he needs to make, be able to make that decision for himself and I don't want to permanently take something away from him, how can I do that for someone else? And I think where I come from is that I felt like, oh, I was trained to do this, it's a personal decision. Um, very few of our patients are Jewish, in interestingly, but, 
And I feel like, oh, well, I can do it well, so I should um, offer that if people really feel, after I've told them all of the risks, if they feel like they want that, I'll do that for them. And I think it comes from that desire as a physician to please people, to take good care of people. If you're trained to do it well, that you offer that. I tell them their baby won't breastfeed as well usually after the procedure. They will absolutely have pain, um, that there can be complications. So I think what I'm asking is, um, and I don't, I don't know that Dr. Susk is going to be able to advise us, but perhaps, but from people who are opposed to circumcision, what other compelling statements might I be able to give to my patients who want to proceed, particularly when they have one, two older sons who are circumcised? That seems to be a very compelling argument. We want our other son to be the same um, as the other boys. Can I? So first of all, I think you're um, extremely courageous, and I want to thank you for um, coming out and and, uh, and 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 saying what you just said. Um, I think there are two issues here. There's the issue of discourse, and the discourse that has existed in this country ever since the 1999 American Academy of Pediatrics policy statement has been one of parental rights. That this is a choice that parents uh, have to make for their children. It's not medically necessary, but it's up to the discretion of the parents. That actually, um, I, I want to point out, is a movement in the right direction away from it just being an automatic procedure done. Um, it's not, we're not quite there yet, but that's, that's a movement in the right direction. What um, I'm trying to, to do is, um, and I think a lot of other people uh, in this country are trying to do, is push the discourse a little further and say, um, you know, if it's not medically necessary, is it ethically problematic to do? And as a physician, who's your patient here? Right? Is the patient the mother or is the patient the, the, the baby? Um, and given all of the um, information about the sexual effects that I covered in my film rather extensively. Which is not well taught in medical school. As I well know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was there. Um, uh, given that information, it's not only just about, um, I, I mean, there are significant implications to taking away this decision from an individual. And so I, I, I want to honor that you just came, out, came forward and said that I think that physicians, if a person were to come to you uh, from, um, let's say, a Somali culture, a person of Somali descent and background, and they said, you know, um, we want our daughter to be circumcised. Uh, we, want, we, we don't want to do it as radically as you know, it's done in our native lands. We want it done under sterile conditions. We want it done with analgesia. Uh, analgesia um, but just take a little bit off of our daughter's clitoris. Um, would you say, would you feel a responsibility to help that parent accomplish that in a medically safe way? Or would you say, I'm sorry, I don't feel that this is a right thing to do. Uh, furthermore, I don't feel compelled to refer you to someone who might be able to do it. Thank you. Your question was answered. Gary, you had a question? The movie um, <coughs> ended, uh, Eliyahu, with your comment about um, should we as Jews be ameliorating suffering and I thought that that speaks 
well to a big issue here in understanding the difference between the Peshat, which is the argument of looking at circumcision for what it is that's been argued as ethical and, or unethical, or the mystical aspects that Yehuda speaks to and the value in choosing to be a Jew and what that means. We sit at the Pesach Seder and we talk about suffering. And that's a big part of our story. And I just wonder, your question begs the question, can we ameliorate suffering without understanding and experiencing suffering? And I know that's a, that, that's a tough one, but personally, as someone who's grown in the other direction and has taken on the practice of Judaism as a spiritual practice, I find I, I've found a lot of value in, in experiencing suffering in life and, and then being able to speak to it in the world where we have work to do and work to do as Jews. So I just wonder myself, and I ask that question, is there something to the underlying mystical experience that God's sharing through Torah in the act of circumcision and that we're coming into the world and suffering? We can't, if we, if we really experience it and understand it through that, can we then do our work in the world as Jews to... So, so you're asking whether circumcision is a sacrifice. Kind of the question. I, it opens that up for me. Okay. Uh, I'm really glad you asked that. We use the word sacrifice, and it becomes a very ambiguous, morally ambiguous word. When we choose as adults to give something up, even to give up our own lives for something, that is a sacrifice. When we impose that on another human being and we use the word sacrifice, we're really muddying the waters. That is violence. And we really need to be aware of that. Well, if I could just add one back to that. I'd love to see um, also in the movie maybe, possibly, I think you did a good job with Hershey Warsh and, and your dad. Um, in, in the balance, but I'd like to see a circumcision where it's not filled with a room of ambivalent Jews around what this is all about. I'd like to, uh, it, it would have been nice to see for balance sake a room of, of Jews who, who get, you know, like, this is something, there's, I, I was the Sandek for my son, and it was, the room was filled with joy. It truly was. Okay, well, well right. that, this was my son. Uh, all right, so, all right. Well, first of all, I did have another verse scene in the film in which people who I don't think seemed very ambivalent about what they were doing at all. All right, sir. Um, okay. Um, there was a verse scene. I don't think the participants. I was five years old when I was circumcised. Sir, if you wait for if you wait for me to answer this question, we'll take your comments in a second. I would like to give you voice in in this forum. Yeah, in two minutes that should be okay. Well, all right, but but we'll we'll give you all right. Thank you. We'll give you a chance in a second to speak, and I do want to give you some space here to to voice your feelings. I just want to address this particular issue, and then we'll come back to it. Okay. 
Um, so what I was saying was that those people didn't seem ambivalent to me at all about what they were doing. They seemed very, I mean, I did play Cold Nidre in the background because I think, and in my general experience of verses, and I've been to quite a few, it's a somber affair. Um, uh, Rabbi Le Patton, who's in the film, uh, often says to me, it's a reminder of, um, you know, why being Jewish isn't all, you know, roses and candies. It's about that. Um, but um, I, I think that this mystical understanding that you're referring to, I mean, the, the, that's sort of a broad term. The, the mystical um, concepts around circumcision that I'm, that I'm familiar with come from Hasidut, from Kabbalah, and there are all sorts of theurgic significance uh, attributed to different elements of the ritual, and um, there are sort of extrapolations made about what is the spiritual status of someone who's circumcised versus the spiritual status of someone who's uncircumcised, and you know, but. Um, uh, to the suffering part, you know, the, the last part of the film, <laughs> the take-home message I wanted, was the last words I said was that to me, and again, this is a response in many ways to what Rabbi Warsh was saying, that, you know, being Jewish is about being obedient. Well, I think, and this is a big part of my Jewish identity and the things that I value most deeply in the Jewish tradition, it's about knowing when to be disobedient. And there's no better teacher of that than the person who received the commandment to circumcise himself, uh, Abraham. Uh, Abraham argues with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says to God, straight in the face, and this is to me the essence of what it means to be Jewish. Uh, he says, will the judge of the earth not perform justice? Um, the chutzpah. The chutzpah of a human being to argue with God, um, that to me is the essence of what it means to be Jewish. And when we are moved, um, by a moral problem that we have with some element of our tradition is it, it is incumbent upon us to do something about it. The rabbis got this. They legislated out of practice the stoning to death of the rebellious son. They legislated out of practice capital punishment. Um, there are many other examples. Uh, but when you are morally offended by an element of your tradition, it is your responsibility to act. So I would say that, that there's times in Judaism to ask questions and there's times to accept, and this is really what all of rabbinical literature is about. But just to give one perspective about the mystical aspect, that there's a story, a short story, about a, a rabbi who passed away, who used to be a, uh, into Eastern religion and, and a Buddhist uh, searching everywhere except for Judaism for his connection. And one day he came to a Japanese uh, Roshi and he said, teach me about your tradition. And the Roshi said, well, well, where do you come from? What's your tradition? And he said, well, I'm, I'm Jewish. So he said, he told him, you go back, learn about Judaism. Buddhism, very fine. Islam, very fine. Christianity, very fine. But Judaism has a very unique purpose in the world. And that purpose is, con is to connect the highest levels of the spiritual realms with the most material levels of the physical realms. And according to a mystical perspective, this is really what circumcision is all about. It's to actually carve in the flesh not just the idea of a covenant, but the idea that the soul and the body can coexist together and ultimately become a part with God in creation. Because the Hellenist perspective was, well, the body is beautiful, so why do something to change it? And the Jewish perspective is, God deliberately created something undone in the male body. The Talmud says that women at birth are considered circumcised, but 
male body needs that extra kind of act to take away what's considered a covering between the soul and God. And, and so there are many, many teachings that really put, like Gary was saying, the, the act of circumcision to a much bigger perspective where you can have joy. Because suffering is really, who, who defines what suffering is? Uh, to have to, you know, if you feel like hitting another person and you're stopped by doing it, is that suffering? That There's so many inventions to suffering where it becomes semantical. What's suffering? What's what's discipline? What's really uh, long-term uh, postponement or short-term gratification for long-term pleasure? So you can't just use the word suffering generically without defining your terms. You said it again. Um, I was just going to mention our teacher, Rabbi Ori, um, talks about um, the words that are found in the, regarding the covenant of Brit Milah are also found in the um, basically circumcise your heart to God. So take away that sheet so you're closer to God. You could probably help me out with the actual biblical verse. I'm totally down with circumcising, circumcision of the heart. Okay. I'll hold them for you. First of all, I'm sorry for the outburst. Um, when I was five, I had tonsillitis. They took me in to remove my tonsils told me I would get a howdy-doody puppet, I woke up circumcised. And I can tell you, I've had my nose broken, I've had injuries, ruptured my Achilles, broken ribs, I'm a sports motorcycle accidents, pain most people can't imagine, and there's nothing. None of the pain I've had in my life compares to that. And I remember the feeling of that foreskin, that protection, to keep that head nice and soft and protected. And I cried for weeks, pleading with my parents, asking them why. I'm sorry I'm shaking so much to see that. That's enough. You got my point. you have a question? I have no question. I made my thank, thank you for sharing your story. General mutilation needs to stop. First, I want to thank... First, I want to just thank everybody in the audience for sitting into this discussion and for the filmmaker and the panel, because it's very charged. It's got many, many layers. And I'd like to offer some information that I haven't heard said yet. Um, I'm Annie Brook, Dr. Annie Brook, and I'm a psychologist that does body-based psychology. And my doctorate is in the study of early memory, which is precognitive. So this means from the time of zero to 18 months. So the neuroscience of it is that there actually is memory. It's not cognition, but it's cellular memory. And I can tell you that in my clinical practice of many, many years, I have helped adults engage in healing suffering that came from them remembering uh, things like forceps at birth, things like being pulled out with vacuum suction, and that these implications, these actual events, are retained in the cells of the body, the memory of it, and carried forward in terms of behavioral response. That's what neuroscience tells us is the, the amygdala, the survival center of the brain, has an associative <laughs> memory center, the hippocampus, and that what, however we respond and survive, we will carry forward under stress. So what I'm and then I've worked with many men, some who have some from Jewish tradition, some not, who actually remember the act of circumcision, 
remember the uh, dissociative pain that this gentleman referred to in his own body. At five, he has cognitive memory. But infants don't have cognitive memory, they have cellular memory. And the, the disruption of protection is significant. The disruption of protection of the infant at that time when what they are learning to do is to trust and to bond is a significant disruption. And whether it's condoned or not, you know, I think it's a, it's a larger argument about how to keep the faith. And it was interesting, Miriam, with your uh, expose about how the original act was not the full foreskin. So on one way, I have a question, well, can it return to that and still be of the faith? But the other thing that I speak more strongly to in terms of informed consent is to know that these things actually are remembered in the body when there's enough support to drop into that level of memory. There is emotional expression, there is grief, there is regret, there is also rage expressed, and that these are not made up, these are not from people watching a film and then deciding they have an impression about it. These are people who have had suffering in their lives around identity. How come I always feel there's something wrong with me? How come I cannot move forward in a certain way with my potency and my power? So um, I don't know an answer in this circumstance. I don't think there is one. But the fact that you're all here willing to question and become curious about how do we uphold the gift of these bodies, the gift of this consciousness, and still act in moral and faithful ways is really important. But I can just, I'd be happy to speak with anyone who has questions about how does cellular memory work and can we remember it as adults? And I would have to ensure you that the answer is yes. I'm just finishing uh, publishing a book on how birth influences behavior. And neuroscience has now caught up with the psychological science of emotions and memory. And so there really is a significant uh, it is a significant act. It is not just an act of faith. It is an act of biology, and it is an act of psychology, and it is an act of identity. And so these things all must be considered in whether or not to continue this practice. Thank you. We have time for a few more questions, so we're going to go over here. Um, I'm hearing lots of things, um, but I, the thing that's the most concerning for me, I think, is the idea that people can applaud for Medicaid not, you know, covering it anymore. That rings something like anti-abortion to me, that if we, yeah, if we are taking away a person's right you know we I'm, I'm someone who believes in the right to choose um for a woman and certainly would never take that away from her and so i think that if there's someone who feels you know very strongly against um circumcision that that's absolutely appropriate for their family but for um sort of a governmental um, withdrawal of choice, that's something that makes me a little nervous. 
and I want and I hear a lot about choice that b babies don't have a choice and um, I want to ask you Eliyahu um, if your son came to you later in life let's say post eight days around 13 and said you know dad I'm really feeling uncomfortable and these are the reasons and I've done my own Google search and you know mm -hmm. would that be something that you would be supportive of well, first of all, I'm for the man's right to choose um, about his body. So I think that's important to say. Um, it actually seems consistent with the, the concept of respecting freedom of choice and the freedom to choose about your own body. Um, but specifically to your, to your question about what if my son comes to me later in life and says that he wants to do it. Um, I am perfectly willing to entertain that possibility as, as long as I feel that he's reached an age where he can make that decision. Um, that's a tricky question. That's sort of an individual by individual basis. You make those sorts of judgments as parents, um, whether or not a person has reached the age, like for example, can they decide to have sex? You know, what's the age of consent for sex? Um, and typically with ages of consent, you, you, you want to standardize them around a certain age so that you don't have abuses. Uh, um, and I, you know, I, I personally think that the age of consent around circumcision should be the same age of consent that whatever is deemed appropriate for the age of consent of sex. I think those two things can go very nicely together. And sure, if, uh, if my son, having been exposed to all of the information and being completely aware of the decision he's making and reaches that decision, decides he wants to do it, let's say even for theurgic, Hasidic, Kabbalistic reasons. That would be fine with me. Um, my beef is with infant circumcision. My beef is with, um, you know, doing this to individuals who can't make up their own minds about it. And um, I I'm not even arguing for abolishing it as a Jewish practice. I'm arguing for postponing it to the age of consent. Um, the issue of Medicaid, um, I don't see this as an oppressive thing to take Medicaid away um, because what we're doing with Medicaid is saying that with tax dollars we should support something that is not medically indicated and that is uh, the practice of specific minorities and that's not something the American public should be obliged to do um, any more than um, I mean, it, as, as was pointed out in this movie, other than Israel, the U.S. is the only country where circumcision is normative. In infant circumcision. Infant circumcision is normative. And in fact, in um, Holland, Finland, the U.K., Australia, and Canada, the medical societies are advocating against um, neonatal, routine neonatal circumcision. So this is not a medical issue, and if it's not a medical issue, then tax dollars shouldn't be paying for it, and that's not an issue of supporting Jews or not supporting Jews. Tax dollars are for the public. Let's have one last question, Stephanie. Really, it's a comment. I, I, I agree with you that it is an American practice uh, a, a friend of mine whose son is the same age as my kids 
had his child in New Zealand and it was very difficult for him to find somebody who would circumcise his son, but he was insistent that it be done because he was circumcised and he wanted his son to look like him. So that's, that's what, in terms of the cultural piece. On a personal level, my daughter was, was seven months pregnant when I went to a La Leche League conference and I was in a workshop where we were talking about supporting alternative choices and I thought it was going to be about breastfeeding toddlers, breastfeeding, tandem breastfeeding and I get into this group and somebody said I would be very upset with somebody who chose to circumcise because it's genital mutilation. That was the first time I had heard that. My daughter is seven months pregnant and I go to her and I say had you ever heard of this and she said oh yes. She says that's something that I've been thinking of. I was glad my first child was a daughter because I really hadn't figured out what I was going to do on that. So it was like such a a mind problem for me when I heard this, because it was like a real shock to me as a Jewish mother. It never occurred to me not to circumcise my son. I believed all the health benefits and all of that. And then when I was confronted with this, I, w I was just dumbfounded. One of the speakers at that conference was Harvey Karp, who's a pediatrician from Los Angeles, who, had, who identified the calming reflex in infants. And he wrote a book, The Happiest Baby on the Block and The Happiest Toddler on the Block. He talks a lot about the, about brain development in kids, he was one of the speakers. I went up to him after he had spoken. I said, may I ask you a personal question? And he said, yes. I said, are you Jewish? He said, yes. I said, what do you think of circumcision? He said, it's barbaric. So this hit me, you know, at the same time, and I was just really, my head was reeling. And then I started doing my own research and got the book, Questioning Circumcision, A Jewish Perspective, read the book from cover to cover, because I knew that if my daughter chose to have a son and chose not to circumcise, I needed to go through a process that would allow me to accept the decision that she'd made. As I was going through this process and I started raising this issue, I got a stone wall. We don't discuss this in the Jewish community. We can't talk about it. Until so somebody told me about Miriam and I talked to her and she was very helpful to me at that time. And I'm really glad you've done this film because when I try to raise this issue, I get response, we don't talk about that. I talked to one rabbi who said it's tribal, and we do it because in Israel when a child is born, as you're going to the, to the circumcision, you say, and then after the circumcision, he said it's tribal, and that's what we do. So I'm really glad that you are bringing this topic up. Well, it's my pleasure, and I guess we're proving them all wrong tonight, right? Um, we have... Um uh, a few more minutes to um, talk informally. We're gonna. Uh, a lot of people have left already. We don't need to rush off, but um, I know all the panelists will be happy to continue the conversation. Um, have a little uh, something to eat before you go. Um, it's getting late, so we're going to, uh, you know, end the formal part of the evening. But but please uh, feel that you you can you can stay and and um, and, and continue the conversation. Yudas has one more thing to say. I really want to thank everyone for being here, for being uh, polite in this conversation. Uh, I think it is very important to talk about all these things. I'm happy to be at the JCC with you um, and really appreciate um, everyone's perspective and uh, hope to have many more um, profound conversations here. Uh, there, there was a great rabbi, Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman, uh, in Europe, who said that felt that he admired the Jews in America much more than the more observant Jews in Europe, because 
they had the power to make a choice where Jews in Europe were kind of fishbowls. They deviated one iota you know, from the tradition, then they would be held accountable. Whereas Jews in America, they have the power to choose. So I think really the value, one of the great values of Eliyahu's film and the whole discussion tonight is for Jewish people in particular to really examine, to do a soul searching as to why you're connected with Judaism in general, with particular misfold commandments, aspects of Judaism in particular, and that really deep soul searching on a true level and can only, like Eliyahu's father, who I, I like and admire very much, uh, felt that, he felt confident that if Eliyahu was doing a true soul searching of where his path was in, in life, he would, he would end up in a good place. So I want to commend him for that, and hopefully we all can learn from that again to, to go deeper and to deeper into our connections with each other and with God and, and with the whole universe. Blessings on everyone and all the places we have. So thank you to Eliyahu and to all our panelists, and thank you for being here tonight. Hi, this is Ellie. Uh, just a quick note in uh, keeping with our commitment to being truthful and spreading truth. Uh, I have a quick correction to make for something that I said early in the Q&A. My former teacher, uh, Mora Yehudas Fishman, uh, made mention of the fact that the commandment of Brit Milah, uh, ritual Jewish circumcision, is classified in the Jewish tradition as a chok. And I corrected her and said that um, I, I was unaware of anyone who classified it as such. I was wrong. She was right. Um, it is classified by many as a chok. Jewish commandments are classified in three categories, chukim, mishpatim, and edim. And um, it's not entirely clear from the sources what the differences between these are. Typically, a chok uh, is said to, to not have an accompanying reason. Um, a, a given reason, but this is not entirely clear. If you scratch a little beneath the surface of many chukim, including circumcision, there are reasons given. Uh, so we're getting into some somewhat esoteric territory here, but I thought uh, it was important to point out that Yehudas Fishman was absolutely correct in um, talking about uh, Brit Milah, ritual circumcision, as a chuk. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.